From Relay FM, this is episode 213 of Upgrade. My name is Mike Hurley. I'm joined by Jason Snell. Today's show is brought to you by Pingdom, Casper, and Hello. Hi, Jason. 213, Los Angeles area code. Excellent. Hello. We're, we're, we're basking in the sun in LA now. If all we're going to do is area codes... <laughs> Jason's number fact. No, two two one two is also uh, two hundred twelve degrees Fahrenheit. That's boiling. That's mm-hmm. uh, that's not just New York. Okay, somebody's going to run in uh, you know here and tell me that there's actually some incredible significance to the number two hundred and thirteen that I don't know. Um, but I don't know it. You can't know all the numbers, Jason. Did you know that every number has a Wikipedia page? Th- this would be great for your uh, podcast you do with Stephen Hackett, Ungenius, where you look at Wikipedia pages. I want to read to you the Wikipedia page for the number two hundred thirteen. 213 is the number following 212 Jason and preceding Snell, nobody cares about this. <laughs> nobody cares about this. So we are going to go straight in to our lovely segment known as Snell Talk. Jason, our Snell Talk question this week comes from Mark. And Mark wants okay. to know, do you still read magazines? Mm-hmm. Mm. This, is a, this is an easy one. Uh, no, I don't. I don't. I read uh I read some newspapers through their apps and I read things on the internet that are on web pages, but I don't have any print magazine subscriptions or digital magazine subscriptions and I don't read anything that is in that that format. So, nope. I I got Entertainment Weekly for a long time and then I switched over to a digital sub of that and I stopped reading that and the you can tell when you're done with a magazine when your subscription lapses and you don't notice. That's a that's a, a telling sign. So no, I don't read magazines anymore. Like everybody else. <laughs> Would you say that you have primarily like transitioned to related web pages for that content? It's not like you're not you're fed up with the content, you just get it in other ways now. Oh sure. And I was never I was never a heavy magazine. People will be shocked to know as somebody who worked in a magazine. I was never a ha- I was never a heavy magazine reader. I never really believed in the future of magazines. I mean, it, it was not I I read I used to read Sports Illustrated and then I canceled that at one point. Um and then I still had Entertainment Weekly, but I was never I never had like a stack of magazines that I read or anything like that. That was never the case. So, and you know, then you're on the internet and there's stuff on the internet. And so you read that stuff instead. And like everybody else, I was, you know, I feel like, like our audience, we were probably ahead of the curve there where we realized that we could read that stuff in other forms instead. If you would like to send in a question to open up the show, just send in a tweet with the hashtag snow talk. It can be about literally anything that you would like to hear Jason's opinion on as we have covered many, many, topics and areas on snow talk thank you to mark for today's submission um jason i believe that there is some snow watch follow-up uh well so guess what it is the end the endless tale the age-old tale of pre-ordering something and being put in the waiting list and we talked about this that the apple has two separate chains basically like logistics chains supply chains whatever you want to call it piles of products there's a pile of product that you order on their website and there's the pile of product that goes to stores because they want people to be able to pick up an apple watch or an iphone in a store when it comes out right what they don't want is to have every watch and every phone they make be put in a a waiting list for everybody who ordered them on the on the first night 
because what happens then is that somebody hears the iPhone is out and they go into the store and for like weeks there are no iPhones in the stores because they're all spoken for for online orders. They don't want that. That's not good. May not be fair, but it's 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 uh, I know why they do it. So I ordered, I woke up the morning after the pre-orders and I put in an order for my wife's uh, level four, level four? What level is that? Four, level four, wow. Level four uh, paladin uh, <laughs> D&D character. <laughs> yep. I don't know, it's Monday morning. I, a, uh, Apple Watch Series 4 and uh, it said, great, we are happy to take your money. You'll get it sometime in October, <laughs> probably late October. And I thought... All right, well, whatever. I, I didn't want to stay up till midnight, and this is what it's gotten me. Um, and they're they're like freely available in Apple stores. So, so um, Friday, I just went on to the old Apple dot com, and uh, and it said, yeah, sure, this is in stock at your local Apple store at Corte Madera. Uh, placed an order for the afternoon, finished my work for the morning, and then uh, went up there and walked in, showed them the little barcode. The guy came from the back with the box, and I walked out, and that was it. And I canceled my other order. So um, it's just weird. This is part of the thing that all of us need to know, which is if you're unhappy with your Apple uh, pre-order, and it looks like you have really fallen into the backlog where your order's not being prepared and it's a, a few weeks out, you should absolutely start either going to your local Apple store if it's not too much trouble or looking at your local Apple store, if you have one, uh, on the website and see if they've got availability because they do. <laughs> they almost certainly do. You may have to be diligent. You may have to check carefully. But uh, they're just because you're waiting for your online order, you know, that online order is there because they are siphoning <laughs> large numbers of these devices to put them in their retail stores because they want people to be able to walk into a real retail store and buy an iPhone or an Apple Watch. In any event, we got it. So uh, instead of waiting another two plus weeks for my wife's new Apple Watch, because she has Series Zero, uh, we I went in there and now she has the Level 4 Paladin Apple Watch fighter with magic. Is she happy with her decision? Yeah, I think so. She she was really frustrated because the battery was um, getting pretty poor mm-hmm. on the old one. Mm-hmm. It was a because it was a series zero, and um, or what would it be a level zero level zero orc? Um, so the uh, new one, like it's li- it's lighter. She had the stainless before. This is the aluminum, so it's lighter. It it feels thinner. It's got the bigger screen, and it's got. Uh, it's got battery. It's responsive. The UI, I mean, the Series Zero UI is pretty pokey. This one's very responsive. It's yep. got, it's yep. got Siri support. I mean, it's just it's it's night and day from the Series Zero. And I'm hearing from a lot of people who really just sort of stuck it out with Series Zero. They were willing to buy an Apple Watch, but they didn't really want to keep buying them every couple of years. Who have found maybe this is going to be the pattern for the Apple Watch going forward? Is it's a you know, maybe it's like a three-ish year buying cycle for those. Um, who knows? But I did hear from a lot of people. I think the combination of the new bigger screen and the fact that Watch OS 5 won't run on the Series 0 pushed a lot of people off the Series 0 to the Series 4. So uh, Mac OS Mojave is now out to the public. It's out to the world. So, And I had a couple of uh, dark mode 
tips and tricks to share ah, yes. with the world. A few of them came directly from Six Colors. One came from mm. an Upgradian. Upgradian Andrew wrote in to recommend a Safari extension, which is called Dark Mode for Safari, that tries to force Dark Mode on websites. Um, Andrew said it can be a bit ugly in places, but mm-hmm. is a potential option if it's something that you want to do. Like, I mean, there's the screenshots for the app. It's available in the Mac App Store. Um, it shows w- Wikipedia, for example, which is like a really good one to show off. Right? It's like because that is just like the most piercing white that a web page can be. Um, yep. And the screenshot show, it's like they, they basically try and make it all dark on the back and obviously invert the text so the text is white. So again, like it's not necessarily going to make everything look pretty, but it is going to do a decent job of trying to calm down some of the kind of harshest offenders, I guess. So your mileage will vary on this one, but, you know, for a $2 uh, extension for Safari, I mean, it, it might provide you with some some benefit. Um, and then I saw a post, uh, I think this was Dan's post on Six Colors, about uh, there is an app which is called Night Owl, which will allow you to automate switching from light mode to dark mode, which is 100% right. something that Apple should have included in macOS, mm-hmm. but, but didn't um, for yeah. reasons unknown. But you can, (laughs) there is a little menu bar app that can allow you to do that. Um, And then another one that you pointed out, which was Hazeover, which is a very clever little utility. So for applications that are white in nature, right? Like, so like Finder or, or, you know, maybe you've got um, like a lot of white space or maybe, I don't know, like a web page, right? So you you use your own web page in the screenshot, which I kind of like a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, It Hazeover will make those applications kind of dim out when they're in the background so they don't try and drag your uh, attention away. From the screen. Right, so the, it's not quite the same in the sense that, right, you if it's in the foreground, it's going to be blinding and white. But it does at least mean that if it's not in the foreground, it can fade away a little bit more. And people even not using dark mode might like it. Um, it's an interesting idea. I'm not using it, but um, I kind of like the idea that if you don't want to have, like, everything running in full screen mode, but you want everything in the background to be a little less distracting, um, especially if you're in dark mode, though, and it's light, a very light window you can use haze over and it lets you uh set sort of per app or per window um how how dim those things get in the back versus your um foreground window yeah so these are just a small selection of utilities to help i guess make the mojave experience nicer for people i have not yet um upgraded to mojave i will at some point um but you know i just never rush with my production machine uh, I don't want to introduce problems that I'm not currently having. And you always run that risk, I think, with with kind of like production machines. Um, but it seems that everybody that I know that's running Mojave and you were talking about last week seems to be having a pretty good experience so far. So it is available for you. Don't be afraid, Mike. Of Mojave. Mm, I'm going to be. I'm, I'm just being cautious. All right. Okay. You know, I, I am in no rush. I, I'm in no, no particular rush. Um, Jason, I have one piece of upstream news for you this week. Uh, Disney has sold its 39% stake in Sky to Comcast. Um, Disney made $15 billion out of this deal, which means that Comcast has now kind of been wholly successful in their takeover of the European broadcaster Sky. Um, So while this means that Disney has lost the potential of a distribution arm into Europe, right, a very, very powerful one, they have gained a ton of cash 
that they can prob- probably put into uh, investing in their upcoming uh, streaming platforms. Obviously, Disney made this, they, they got this stake when they bought Fox, right? So that's how they got that 39% stake. And they were being a little bit coy about it at the time, right? Kind of making it sound like it was something that they really wanted to keep, but was probably always very likely that it would end up being something that they sold, uh, especially with Comcast not getting Fox. Uh-huh. So they moved to Sky as their second bet. And Peter Kafka uh, has said that he believes that this this sell that, that like this, Disney being willing to let go of this probably means that they will end up picking up all of Hulu. Yeah, this feels to me, and I don't know if this is true or not, but it feels to me when when they were vying when when uh, Universal or Comcast and uh, Disney were vying for the Fox stuff, somebody floated this theory that this would all get resolved where they would make essentially a gentleman's agreement. Yep. About we spoke about to that carve, before. To carve up the spoils mm-hmm. of these two of this. companies. Yep. And so and so it would not surprise me at all if the deal was you're going to let us buy Fox. We're going to sell you our we're going to let you buy Sky and we're going to sell you our stake in Sky. You're going to sell us your stake in Hulu and then the deal is done and, and, and we'll we'll walk away and not be in business with each other, right? Like, we'll take these businesses, you take those businesses, and then we're now, you know, now we're just competitors and we're not mm-hmm. co-owning joint ventures with one another, basically. And uh, it looks like that may ex- exactly happen. <laughs> yeah, I was reading in the Wall Street Journal article uh, about this. There was a potential benefit for Disney that if they kept Sky, they could have basically rescinded on all of the distribution deals for Disney content, right? So then they could have put them on their streaming services, right? So they could have changed all those deals if they would have kept Sky, which is kind of like a, that was like one of the only reasons that people thought, oh, they might want to keep it at least for that for a while, right? They're like, let's just undo all of these. Like, we would like all the Marvel movies back, please. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Um, but it makes way more sense for them to try and, tie up something like Hulu for what their their future plans are. And plus the cash. I mean, Disney has been spending a lot of money recently. Uh, a little bit more cash coming back is definitely not going to hurt. Probably not that Disney's hurting for money specifically, but... No. It's more about, I think, more about control, right? Yeah, sure, they get their money back and they're they're losing that stake, but they, they are ending up with, you know, they get all of Fox... Uh, Comcast gets all of Sky. They get all of Hulu. It's good. It's it, Hulu is very useful for them because although they've announced these other services, there is this question of what uh, Disney does with the content that's more adult in nature, like the stuff they bought from Fox um, and the and the FX networks. And Hulu has always been the most logical place for that kind of stuff to go, as Hulu's. Um, or as Disney's uh, streaming service that's more of, um, you know, more adult targeted yep. than their other ones. And so perhaps that's what will end up happening. Just a super like pie in the sky type question. Do you think that they would keep the name the same? Do you think it would still be called Hulu? Do you think that it has brand recognition? In the U.S., it does. I mean, it, it is not an international brand by any means, but it, and and that would be one of their challenges would be to roll it out internationally. But I think it has some name recognition and it's got content, and I don't know why they wouldn't do that um, unless they think that there's some other brand that they they already own that would work with it. I don't think there is. Yep. In fact, I I think you could argue that given. What I've witnessed is that the Fox brand is so politically charged now because of Fox News in the U.S. 
that um, walking away from that, walking away from a brand that is going to turn off half the audience is probably a good idea. So I think they'll probably downplay the Fox yep. brand and the Hulu brand is has existed. It is a streaming service. Um, even if it changes into a very different kind of streaming service with very different kind of content, I would imagine over time what's going to happen is that all of the um, non-Disney content on there will go away, right? That everybody else will be like, well, we're out of here. We're not going to use this as our, our sort of like streaming equivalent for uh, for uh, uh, broadcast TV to show you stuff after the fact. Um, everybody wants their own. Everybody wants to own their own. So Hulu will just end up being uh, a vehicle for Disney. and. Yep. I, that, I think that makes sense. It's it, because it's existing. They've got an existing catalog. Why not? You know, even putting the political issue aside, the 20th Century Fox branding is of no real use to Disney, right? Because like, it's it's not necessarily it's not in really any way a stronger brand than Disney's own brand that they would use in movies and TV. The only limitation is again that the, there there may be things. This is like what we were talking about Apple and its streaming service. There is this issue of there are there. Like in the '80s, Disney created Touchstone Pictures, and the whole idea there was that they wanted to wrap uh, more adult content in a yep. brand name that was not Disney, right? Like, so having a having a useful brand or brands around that you can put content in, so you you aren't releasing an R-rated movie with a Disney banner in front of mm-hmm. it. Like, that's going to be the value of having Fox 20th well, century, 20, 20th or 21st, depending because there's different pieces of them uh, with different century names. But like Fox would be a way that you could wrap more adult fare out of Disney. And that may be what they end up doing. Or they just completely create something new, right? Like there is nothing stopping them creating another new brand, right? Which is neither. It's it's true, but they've got, you know, they've got existing brands that they can use. And so, you know, rather than rebranding, that's obviously a question that they've had if they haven't already decided they will decide at some point. But I think that's such a historic brand as a film studio that... Um, keeping it around in some form uh, is uh, it's probably what they'll do for again for film releases. They'll probably define it a certain way. That's I think that's their challenge: is what is a Disney product, what is a Fox product, or what you know what goes on a, a Disney service, what goes on a on a Hulu. That's those rules. What are the rules? Because you can't you know you don't want it to be random. You want all of these things to to mean something. Because otherwise, they're totally, if they have no definition, they're totally meaningless. Like, I always think about how um, every now and then you'll hear some promo somewhere for a new, like, album from a music artist, and they'll say the label it's on, Mm -hmm. and you're like, that is meaningless. In almost every case, it's meaningless. It's just a corporation put this out, and it doesn't mean anything to consumers. There are cases, though, where those brands have are are clearly defined and then you're like oh it's one of those and you know you want that for your products right you want hulu to mean something one of the challenges right now is that it is kind of just an empty empty bag that tv shows get stuffed in and they need to doing original content like handmaid's tale and um and, and some of the other stuff i've been watching a lot of hulu actually in the last few weeks uh, that helps define it and um that's important, like the way that John Landgraf, who's the executive in charge of the uh, FX networks, the cable networks, um, FX and FXX, uh, which is a real, that's their comedy network. They split it in sort of two. Um, they've done a really good job of defining what that kind of content is. So I think there's a great value in that. And that's what brands are good for. Brands are good to be labels that let a consumer go, oh, I, I get it. And um, 
that's one of those we talk about apple and all their marketing decisions and and structural decisions about uh, iphone names and things like that especially this is another one of those cases where you know this is really important decision making that gets done and that's why they presumably pay those disney executives a lot of money this episode of upgrade is brought to you in part by hello move from hulu to hello hello make insanely comfortable (laughs) buckwheat pillows you may have never tried a buckwheat pillow um if you haven't buckwheat pillows are very very different to regular fluffy pillows they offer significantly more support because they don't collapse under the weight of your head like a traditional pillow does. You can kind of imagine, so like what what the hollow pillows are filled with is buckwheat hulls. Now, if you don't know what that is, I think the easiest way to try and describe it is it almost feels a little bit like a beanbag, but but a little bit softer than a beanbag, right? Like it's not as harsh, but that's kind of the easiest way that I can think to describe it. Um, hollow pillows will stay cool and dry compared to feather or foam pillows and buckwheat breathes better. So like air can pass through it more easily so it doesn't get warm and humid. There is no need to flip to the cool side of the pillow when you have a hollow pillow because it's always cool. And it's also because it's because uh, of the way that you fill it because of the way that the pillows are filled, you can actually remove or add more filling to adjust the pillow to be the exact size that you want. Um, buckwheat pillows have been very popular in Japan for many, many years, like, and they are considered a luxury pillow in lots of hotels and stuff. And I have been sleeping on one since June, and absolutely, I'm converted. I love it. I love my hollow pillow. It again is very different, but I am a person who's always liked firmer pillows anyway. And this is the most supportive pillow I have ever tried anywhere. Like, I am at that point now that when I travel and I'm in hotels and I'm on soft pillows, "Mm, it just doesn't feel right to me. I really, really love my Hello Pillow. I am a big proponent of it. I find it very, very comfortable. Um, and it's just it's just an all-round great experience. Hollow pillows are made in the USA with quality construction and materials. The certified organic cotton case is cut and sewn for durability, and the buckwheat is grown and milled in the US as well. So I'm hoping that by now you're at least curious to try one of these things out, and I really think you should try it. If, if you're at all thinking, hmm, I would like a different pillow, this is one that you should get, because you can sleep on it for 60 nights, and if it isn't right for you, you can just send it back, and you'll get a full refund. So go to hollowpillow.com slash upgrade right now to get your own buckwheat pillow. That is H-U-L-L-O-P-I-L-L-O-W, hollowpillow.com slash upgrade. If you buy more than one, they have a special discount for upgrade listeners. You get up to 20 dollars off depending on the size that you opt for they have fast free shipping of every order and one percent of all profits are donated to the nature conservancy so give it a try if you love it you keep it if you don't you just send it back but i bet you'll love it go to hollowpillow.com upgrade right now our thanks to hollow for their support of this show and relay fm so jason there have been uh some rumors recently about what the next ipad pros are going to be about and also mm. some data mining uh by the wizards <laughs> at nine to five mac and steve trout smith uh. so our good friends good friends of the show again yep. rambo and steve trout smith have been doing their mm-hmm. great great valuable work digging around in ios 12.1 because there's betas out for that and have been for like a week or two so I want to look at a couple of different things as a way to try and unpack a little bit about what we may be expecting probably later on this month 
uh, as to what the new iPad Pros are going to look like. So there's a few things here. iOS 12.1 offers the support for Memoji syncing over iCloud. Now, why would you want that, Jason? Why would you want to Thinking sync? face emoji. <laughs> Your emoji over iCloud. Uh, probably yeah. because you will have it on another device. And people tend not to, I think, really own two iPhones. So you need a separate product <laughs> that has the true depth camera. Aha, yep. you may say, be saying to yourself out there, uh, probably do an iPad, right? So you can sync your emoji between you your iPad and your iPhone, which is a good feature. It's a feature I would definitely want. Um, I did note, actually, and was pretty proud and uh, pleased, I should say, and I didn't note this last week, that uh, my iCloud Restore included my Memoji. It wasn't necessarily something I thought would be excluded, but was happy to see when it was included, right, that in my iCloud backup was my Memoji. So pleased about that. But yes, so that I think we can, again, if you if you had any doubts about there being a true depth Face ID camera system in the iPad Pro, this is a pretty good indication that there will be one. Yeah, but yeah. there is a big question that remains about how it's going to work because Face ID in the iPhone 10 does not seem to offer any advancement in using Face ID in other angles, right? There it was not added in 12, it was not added in the new phones. And Steve Trouton Smith has found evidence of landscape orientation support for Face ID in iOS 12.1. He says that it is his understanding that landscape face ID would require a realignment of the front-facing sensors so you won't see it on existing hardware. So it seems that this is only really becoming more complicated. So what it seems like that there will be landscape face ID on the iPad. Now, does that mean one camera? Does it mean two cameras? Like, it doesn't seem that, like, this is something they can just add in software. This is, like, a physical change to hardware. So the doors are back wide open again. Because we were very, very confident that it would be one camera, software's going to fix it. Because that seemed like the logical thing, right? Yeah, I wouldn't say very... I was very confident. Like, there is this question about... Because you think about the bezels and it being kind of bezel-less and... You think about, like, would there be two notches on an iPad Pro? That seems kind of weird, right? But at the same time, you, you, if, if, if the bezels are almost gone and you're holding an iPad in one orientation and that's where the camera is, your hand's over it, which means that, like, literally in one orientation, you can't use the front-facing camera, um, which is not really the case now. And, um, or at least it's not as bad as it would be here. So I think, I think there's a case to be made that if you're going to consider the iPad a two orientation device, that you're going to need two, two sensors, two cameras, and then have them alter, you know, which one you use is altered based on the orientation of the device. I feel like, so I feel like either they're going to have, uh, I mean, yes, either they're going to have a magic new face ID that's got a different kind of set of sensors and can work in either orientation, or you've got a uh, two sets of sensors, or you have Apple picking a primary orientation for the iPad and saying that other orientations are not as important, Um, which is interesting, right? Because I think that 
some people use the iPad mostly vertically and others use it mostly horizontally. Um, although I would argue that horizontal is the one that has always made the most sense, especially since Apple started um, including the, the a keyboard with it and considering it more of a pro, you know, on the iPad Pro, a pro product, I, I feel like history is pushing the iPad Pro toward horizontal orientation. But if you look, you know, every iOS device up to now is a primary vertical. The Apple shows up when you start up in its upright vertical. The logo on the back is vertical um, orientation. So uh, what does this mean? Does this mean that this new iPad Pro is going to be a horizontal orientation, unabashedly, unashamedly horizontal as the primary orientation? Or are they going to stick a bunch of cameras all over it? (laughs) What do you think? So here's my question, and I don't know the answer to this. No, actually, I'm looking on Apple's website now, so I do have the answer. I think the way that I've been thinking about this, right, is two cameras. But it's not a camera, right? Like, you won't have two cameras on an iPad if they had two sets of sensors. You just have one camera. One camera and and two sets of Two sets of sensors. Because Face ID requires an infrared camera, a flood illuminator, and a dot projector. So they don't need two camera systems because basically the way that I'm thinking about this right now, looking at all, looking at what we've seen so far, looking at what Steve has uncovered, is that there will be two sets of sensors on the iPad. So it will only work in two fixed orientations, right? You won't be able to use it upside down to get face ID, but you'll be able to use it in one portrait and one landscape. That's how it seems like it's going to be to me. So I would expect that we will see one full camera system in the way that it's always been, so there is a front-facing camera on the iPad, and then a second Face ID set of sensors, so the infrared, the flood illuminator, and the dot projector, because it feels like two cameras is wasteful, right? Like, you Mm. don't need two complete camera units, and the other thing is they've got to stop this thing from costing a lot more money, and two whole sets of that system feels like it would be pretty expensive. Unless there's a brand new... Version of this system that that as Steve Troughton Smith said, you know, the existing hardware won't do this, but there could be a new sensor block that is more advanced and that will work in multiple orientations. That's also possible. Is that it's just a way fancier, mm-hmm. re, you know, re-engineered version of it. But you're right; they may also scatter the sensors around or duplicate some of the sensors. Keep one camera, but yeah. have extra sensors in order to do that. I think it would be a mistake on Apple's part for them to lock the iPad into one orientation. As much as I use my iPad almost entirely horizontally, I I know people who don't, and I think it would be really weird if, and, and a failure. Honestly, it would be a usability failure, failure if Apple had said, uh, you're holding it wrong in one orientation if you're trying to unlock your device, especially since it's the only way other than putting in a password to unlock your device. That's not cool. Yeah, I mean, I feel confident that at least landscape, right, will will be the the primary way that they're going to support it because they've now, there's like, there's code to suggest that landscape now exists where it doesn't for the iPhone. But like, I'm kind of feeling that there will be like two. You can have like with the Apple logo, if it's the way it is right now pointing up, or if you take that and turn it left, like the upside down might not work anymore, right? So if you have like the lightning port on the bottom, sorry, the lightning port on the top, that wouldn't scan it. Or right, right. you know you know what I mean? Like there's going to be like, there'll be one portrait and one landscape. 
Could be. Because these, uh, these, uh, these, uh, this doesn't work upside down, and there's nothing to suggest upside down support. And I think, honestly, I would be fine with that because I only use my iPad, like I'm just me personally, I only use it in two orientations. Like I use the home yeah. button on the bottom and the home button on the right. That's just how I do it. That's how I've always done it, and that works for me. So that I wouldn't notice too much of a problem there, I don't think. And I very, very rarely pick up my iPad in a way that is like, not the way I expect, if you know what I mean. Like, I'm very rare, like, oh, my iPad's upside down. Like, that doesn't happen to me. This, I'm sure this happens to other people, but I think with the iPad Pro, it's typically got something attached to it, right? Like, I think a lot of people use it that way. There's, it's in some configuration that it would be hard right. to get it upside down because, like, there's the keyboard there or the case is there or whatever. Right. So I think that, like, I had kind of resigned myself to thinking that software would fix this and that it would, you know... One, one sensor, all orientations. But I'm now less inclined to, to, to think that, which makes the whole thing a little bit more interesting to me again because it's like, well, okay, how are you going to solve this problem? How do you set it up? How do you intend it to be used? And how do you tell a story about it? But wait, wait, there's more. There mm-hmm. is... Um, there are a few things going on right now which seem to suggest that there may be more than just a lightning port on the next iPad Pro. So when talking about landscape face ID in a, in a tweet thread, uh, Steve Trouton-Smith also noted that iOS 12.1 seemed to be checking on whether an external display was connected to the iPad. And in the iOS uh, simulator, in the, in the beta version of the simulator, it also now supports virtualized 4K displays. Now, you cannot do this with the current Lightning to HDMI adapter. 4K is too much for it. So what is going on here? Mm. Yeah, and there's some speculation that what you have to do right now, uh, the I, the device itself doesn't need to do all the work because that uh, Lightning HDMI adapter is able to do, it's because it's got a chip in it, right? It's mm-hmm. doing some of the work. But that if you're doing a direct USB-C connection, then the device has to do the work to drive it. So there, there are a couple things here that suggest, and again, what we're not saying is, oh, this new iPad Pro, uh, Apple's going to sell a touchscreen 4K thing that you can dock it to, and that would be cool. But I think more likely this is just the idea that if Apple adds USB-C to the iPad Pro, there's a bunch of stuff that they have to add to the software so that the device can directly drive the external devices that are plugged in and external displays to do via, you know, mirroring, presumably, is one of those things. And this kind of marries up with a Ming-Chi Kuo report um, from before the last Apple event where Kuo speculated that, or at least mentioned, that the new iPad Pro could feature USB-C. And at the time, it was like, do they mean on the device or do they mean a USB-C adapter in the box? And it was really confusing. It was, it's not clear yeah. to try and work out what Quo had heard or what Quo was reporting. So I guess this kind of asks a second question, right? So not just about the Face ID stuff, about USB-C. Do you th- does it seem likely to you that Apple would put USB-C on the iPad Pro? Or is it seeming more likely based upon these little tidbits that are coming out at the moment? I mean, you and I talk about the iPad a lot. Here, we both are enthusiastic users of the iPad. You know, I know you talk about it with Federico and Connected. Like, um, 
So I am of two minds about all this stuff because there's the stuff that I think of as an enthusiastic iPad user, iPad Pro user. And, you know, in that way, I want to push Apple, right? I, I, I And I think you do, and I think Federico does, and lots of people who use the iPad Pro want to push Apple and say, part of the beauty of creating the iPad Pro as a product separate from the iPad is that you can push it into other places, into more computery places. It can be your device that you are pushing iOS into places where traditionally only uh, computers have gone. But now now this thing can go there. And I, I think I said on a show, it might have even been like a year ago, but I know I said on this, on, on this podcast before, like, if the iPad Pro is a computer, at some point, shouldn't it have a USB port? Like, instead of a lightning port that that maybe and will it happen this year i don't know but like if you think about where apple's going with the ipad pro of course it should be primarily uh, horizontal orientation uh because of the keyboard support of course it should have a USB-C port on it because it is a pro device and it's attaching to all of these things using these all these various lightning adapters like is there a reason why the iPad needs to have lightning just because the iPhone does? It's not like iPhone Junior anymore. It's it's its own thing. And it needs to be able to diverge from the iPhone in places where it makes sense because of what it is kind of becoming as a pro product. So do I think Apple would add USB-C to the iPad Pro? Yes. I don't have any idea whether this is the time to do it, but I think it makes a lot of sense if they were to choose to do it. Um, I am going to be frustrated <laughs> If they add a USB port to this thing and it still has such limited support for external devices as iOS currently does. And this is the thing that I've railed about again and again, which is, you know, you can't you can't read off of uh, files off of a uh, attached SD card or a USB hard drive and copy them onto your iPad. You can't do it. It's not possible. It'll it'll see pictures and movies but that's it. It like everything else it just doesn't understand what it's seeing and that is not very computer like because sometimes when you have a computer somebody hands you a thumb drive with a presentation on it and you need to get that off and right now the iPad is incapable of seeing that presentation on the thumb drive that somebody hands you in a hotel hotel lobby or uh on an airplane or wherever some place where you can't just say can you put this in the cloud instead and share that file with me so I can download it. Um, so yeah, I, I hope they do it, but I hope that includes more than just, uh, sort of external monitor support, but a, a bunch of other, uh, better p- peripheral support in iOS 12.1. Why would you want external monitor support for an iPad? Well, I mean, you do presentations, there's presentations and stuff mm-hmm. where people are, are, are pushing out to an external display. Um, you know, I would love, I, uh, I think all of us, we, we've talked about like that theoretical, like, um, uh, what is it, Surface Studio kind of thing. Like, what would a big iOS device be like? And, you know, I think about, about this and I think, wouldn't it be amazing if Apple made a 4K touchscreen display that you could buy and attach an iPad to? And then it would be a giant iPad. But at the same time, I think at that point, why don't you just make it a giant iPad? <laughs> like, why why require an iPad to attach to it? Why not just put the whole brains inside that screen and not worry about it? So I think it's just I think it's just external display support at higher resolutions. So that if you're attaching to a projector or uh you know an external display or something to do a presentation or anything like that, um, I think that would be 
that's that's most likely what it is. I, I would love it for it to be more than that, but that's my guess is it's just that. I mean, what I want is uh, display support and a trackpad <laughs> and uh, go to town. That's, that's what I want. I mean, and I know that this is one of those things that a lot of people can't understand, and it does sound peculiar. Like, well, what's wrong with you just sit in front of a Mac? Um, but I, you know, I like iOS as my environment. It's it's comfortable for me. I understand it way more than I understand the Mac. I, f- I feel like an iPad power user. I do not feel like a Mac power user. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would love to be able to have a more uh, ergonomically focused environment where I could have an iPad running that I could also pick up and take out on the go of me. It's almost like the Nintendo Switch, but for my computer. Because the Nintendo Switch is my on-the-go device, and I plug it into a dock, and it's on my TV. And something else, again, not anything I actually think will happen this fall, but something that could happen in the in in the next couple of years is the idea that iOS may become more capable of supporting external pointing devices. And so, the 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 problem with external devices right now on iOS is that they're essentially just mirrors or their outputs for like a presentation. Um, if you could use a keyboard and a trackpad or something with an iPad, you could then use an external display. You know, you could attach it and have it be a second display or have it be your primary display. Um, We talk about if you're building apps that run on iOS and on the Mac, that means they support a menu bar and keyboard shortcuts and pointing devices. At that point, iOS could also support those in certain contexts, not in all contexts by any means, but could you could could we envision a scenario where an app that's built to run on iOS or the Mac when you plug in an iPad or an iPhone for that matter but let's say you plug in an iPad Pro to an external d- device and in the context of the giant external screen it says well if you want to use it on here I'll give you a menu bar and I'll give you a cursor and I will you know support your keyboard shortcuts because now I'm on a giant non-touch display and so we need a different input mechanism. They could they could totally go that way if they wanted to. I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon, but uh, that is a direction that they could go in. I mean it feels like everything here, you know, whilst a lot of it being theoretical just in this discussion you know, you couple that with stuff like the marzipan apps and, you know, you're, you're moving yep. towards a thing, right? There's like a, there's like a thing, there's a road you can take. Um, and can, that continues to be something of great interest to me, seeing how mm-hmm. this sort of stuff starts to play out. And maybe we'll start to see some more kind of seeds being sown uh, with the next iPads. Like if they do get yeah. USB-C, I'm not too confident about that personally, but I would like it. Um, I don't, I'm, I'm not convinced it will happen, but they do sure. go that route, like that would be very exciting to me because it, it shows continued further uh, focus on improving the iPad platform. You know, like that's like in a year when you don't get any software, if you see it make another big change to the hardware, like not just from design, but from like really thinking about what it can do, that is that is really exciting to me. Yeah, and in the long run, I do think Apple's goal is that Apple's devices are part of a unified Apple platform in terms of apps. And the idea there is if you have an iPad and you attach it to some other stuff, it lets you do your Apple apps stuff, right? And, And if you have a Mac it lets you do your Apple app stuff too. So they want that experience to be similar, even if the device, the base device is very different. And uh, it is an interesting question too, if they do a big hardware revision of the iPad Pro this year, and iOS 13 adds a whole bunch of new iPad features, 
I would imagine that these devices will support all of those new features. So this is an interesting case, too, where there might be a few things that they put into 12.1 just to enable so that the device can ship and make sense. But um, these devices may also be in line for a major update, like an improvement that is really intending to use the features that are introduced. Like if they introduce USB-C, maybe there's a base functionality that exists in 12.1 when they ship. But presumably... Thir- the iPad features in iOS 13 the, would be conceived of as, you know, being for these devices, basically, if that makes sense. All right. Today's show is also brought to you in part by our friends over at Pingdom. Pingdom are amazing because they help keep your sites and the sites that you love online. They will monitor your website so you don't have to, giving you real-time feedback so you know exactly what's going on at all times. Because look... The internet is an amazing place, but stuff breaks all the time. Just of the websites that Pingdom are monitoring, they detect one in 400,000 outages every single day. It doesn't matter how big a company is. It doesn't matter how many people look out or work on your website. Things can go wrong, and you want to know about them. If there are any critical website issues, you want to be alerted. And what's more, wouldn't it be great if you could be alerted, depending on what type of outage goes to the right person, or depending on what problem it is, gets the right alert level, this is the stuff that you can do at Pingdom. You can customize these alerts. So like if the login functionality goes down, that should go to the right person. If things are a little bit slow, maybe you don't need a text message, a push notification, and an email, right? Like maybe it's just an email for that one. So you can kind of just make sure that you're keeping on track of things so that when stuff goes, when stuff gets really dicey, you can maybe set up the IFTTT action that turns your lights red. You know, you can do that if you want to. Pingdom is very, very customizable. It's super, super awesome. If you have a site of any size, you should be using Pingdom. Them. They have a no-fuss approach to get started. You just give them the URL that you want to be monitored, and they'll take care of everything else. So go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM right now, and you can get yourself a 14-day free trial. No credit card requires. You can just see if the service is right for you. Then when you sign up, use the code UPGRADE at checkout to get a huge 30% off your first invoice. Now, thanks to Pingdom for their support of this show and RelayFM. Now, Jason, I yes. believe that you have a story I do. I do. Um, We could talk about the iPad more. I like that. But I I do. I want to tell a story. It's got a couple of links to the stuff we talk about here. Also, I just really wanted to talk about this because I went through this kind of whole thing. It happened a little bit of it trickled out onto my uh, Twitter feed. Um, But I want to I just want to tell the story, which is uh, we're going to call it uh, Frozen Quest. uh, For reasons that that will be apparent in a moment. Um, so this spring we redid our backyard. We um we poured new concrete. We had a like totally uneven like pavers and stuff and you could trip over them and they were awful and we just uh we we put concrete back there in the backyard. It's a larger area. It's really nice and we wanted some new furniture, outdoor furniture out there so we can enjoy the California environment. And uh we put new there's new grass back there now. Um which we never really had grass that was anything but sort of randomly kind of there. And, and there was no, there were no sprinklers. There was nothing like that. Uh, and we're going to redo the front yard and take out all the grass and stuff out there at some point. Anyway, so we redid this. We want a nicer backyard. 
after being in the house almost 20 years, we got one. And, and uh, so for the outdoor furniture, we looked at a bunch of places and we looked at some outdoor furniture. It was extremely expensive. It was nice, but it was extremely expensive. And in the end, we went to Ikea and we looked at the stuff that they had. And there was some stuff there. I think it's called Solaron um, that was perfectly nice and much more within our budget. And so we bought some Ikea furniture um, and they have cushions for their furniture. So we got some cushions for the, so you could sit and it's nice and cushy and they've got covers for the cushions so that they're not just, uh, you know, the, the loose fill there. You can pick a color. And so we picked a color and all that. And we got the back cushions and we couldn't find the cushion covers for the back and which are called frozen. I will say, um, that's where it comes in here. And the guy at the store says to me, look, here's what you do. Buy the cushions here. They got the covers online. Just order the covers online. Um, <laughs> so a word of advice, as you'll hear in this story, is never leave Ikea intending to buy parts of what you just bought online. But I will also say when I was trying to outfit my office here, did a lot of Ikea shopping. Completely agree with that sentiment. Do Don't, not. Just, if you can't get it in the avoid, store. Avoid Ikea's online ordering system as much as you possibly can because it is fraught with disaster. Mm. Yeah. So um, I've had some good luck with Ikea orders online. I have ordered uh, bins for my uh, for my little uh, pieces of furniture that I've got here. The the Calax. Uh, those came. They were fine. The shipping price was fairly reasonable for that. I actually ordered a piece of this furniture. We wanted a corner so we could put them in kind of a, a corner. Uh, I ordered that online as well, and we got that. Um, but in that same order were those covers, and they just weren't in there. There was no communication that they weren't in there. They just weren't in there. So I call Ikea, and guess what? You know, I- I'm on hold for half an hour, and then I get to somebody who looks up my order and says, it's very strange. I explain the whole thing, and they're like, all right, well, this is very strange. I, I need to transfer you to somebody who could help me. To, you know somebody else who could help 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 me um that was another 25 30 minutes on hold <laughs> it's as if i was just reliving my last half hour the next person comes on they have no idea who i am or any of my background i've told the whole story again like did i just I, I don't even know what happened anyway they're like all right you say you didn't get it that's great we'll just put in a new order and we'll make sure you get those and they'll be there in a week a month passes <laughs> <laughs> I keep checking over this month the shipping number on the invoice. So among the stories I wanted to tell here is how IKEA's IKEA's website is terrible. Mm-hmm. We have Amazon has set the bar so high for everybody else and everybody else has kind of like tried to come up to Amazon's level here. IKEA first off you get an order and there's an email and it says click here to track your package. I click on that link. It goes to a customer service page that's like information about looking up product manuals and things like that. There's no information about tracking a package on it at all. And I think, what is happening? Why is the track package link not? So I copy the URL of the track package link. And it actually is a package tracking URL. It says track package in it. But then there's a whole bunch of stuff on the end that's like other little um, data points that they're passing out of the email to their server, presumably for tracking and logging reasons. Um, So I delete all of those. So it's just the pure package tracking URL. And that works. That gets me to a package tracking page, which I think to myself, this is really bad. If your email you send to people who you're shipping a package to 
literally the package tracking link in it doesn't work either by design or by an accident where they're accidentally redirecting you. Because why they're redirecting a tracking, a package tracking link to this totally other page, it's completely baffling. So I put in my number and uh, it's it, basically what I get back is, oh yes, you made that order last week or two weeks ago and it hasn't shipped yet. There's no other status. It's just like the order was made and it hasn't been shipped. So after a month, I phone again, spend 45 minutes on hold, finally talk to somebody. I say, well, I get this new order because they failed to send my last order. Like, though, we're very sorry. I don't really know what happened there. I'm going to cancel this order and I'm going to make a new, new order. Just so you know, this exact thing that you had, I had this with an entire sofa. Like what you're going Mm -hmm. through right now, like this happened to me when I needed, I was like trying to get a sofa that they had in stock delivered for like seven weeks. So like I am with you on this one. And there's no communication. I mean, we joke about Amazon saying, hey, would you like a, 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 to see where the truck is on a map? Would you like a picture of the box outside your door? We've got that for you. Ikea is like, we don't know what your thing is we don't know if we have it we don't know if we shipped it we don't know if you didn't get it we literally know nothing about this so it is quite a quite a contrast anyway they're like they all right we'll cancel it the new new order a month passes again (laughs) same story as before it it's in the system when i get to that page it's in the system that there is an order and there's an estimated the thing that kills me there's an estimated delivery date but it never shows a shipped, and the delivery date passes. And it is, again, just, just so we're all on the same page here, we are talking literally about fabric covers for cushions. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. It's not like a big thing here. Like, it's a small, no, very, small very item. small item. Mm-hmm. Very small item. Um, so after a month, I decide I, I'm not going to sit on the phone for an hour at this time. Yeah. So I, I find their email contact form, and I just say, let's try this one. And I get within a day, I get a response from somebody who's like, I don't know what's going on here, but I've canceled that. And I've given you, here's your new order number. I've reordered it. (laughs) Okay. Uh, A few weeks pass and I call again. I'm like, this is, it's the end of the summer now. We've missed the whole summer. The furniture has been sitting out there with bottom cushions and a whole bunch of assorted pillows that we found around because we don't have the top. We have the top cushions, but they're these thin little white things that need a cover on them. Um, after uh, this time, this time I push a different set of buttons in the phone tree and I immediately get somebody on the phone, which is amazing. I think I said a problem with my order instead of like miscellaneous help. Um, this person is very nice and I spend about 25 minutes with her kind of putting me on hold and checking and coming back and putting me on hold and checking and coming back. And then she says, I, got, I, I need to get a manager because I don't know what I'm seeing here. And I wait for another 15, 20 minutes and a manager comes on. And the manager is also very nice and very smart and says, okay. I, first off, he says, I also tried to get these oh, and, no. and, and couldn't. That's a bad sign. Mm-hmm. He says, I, I, I'm really sorry. Here's the story. We never had them in stock online. All of our stock went to the stores. Now, I'm doing a callback now to the Apple Watch because this is another case yep, where yep. a company has two different supply chains. Although it seems like for IKEA, they basically have their supply chain to stores and then some stuff goes online, but it's not they're not connected. And it, what it means is if you place an order online and they literally have it in the store near your house, there's no connection. Like, they're not going to alert you. And I spent the whole summer with an existing order that I'd already paid for and it had never been delivered, that had never been 
communicated as being backordered, right? That's I think that's one of the key problems here is at no point did they say, we don't have these and we don't know when we're going to get them. Because then I could have I said, well, refund my money and I'll go try to get them in the store. But they never actually said that. Um, but it's similar to the Apple situation where they're in the stores, but they're not they're not in the online supply chain. So the guy was very nice. He's like, you know, uh, uh, the trick here is to go look for them in the stores. The problem is it's the end of the summer now and uh, it's a seasonal item. So it won't be available until next spring. Good luck. No, I'll give you a $10 gift card as a, so as a sorry and I'll refund your money. Well, that's great. Okay. Thus ends. Summer's over now. Whole summer. No cushions. Whatever. Uh, and I decide, okay, at least I've gotten this resolved. They're never going to come. They're going to refund my $18 or whatever, and I've got a $10 gift card. Great. I should, you know, I, I should not have expected them to come, but it was always a mystery and nobody would give me a straight answer. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take this into my own hands. And then thus begins phase two of Frozen Quest. This is the real quest. This is when the quest This begins. is where the quest actually starts. Because at this point, I didn't know. I thought that when you order something on the internet, it just shows up at your door. Because that's and how it, it doesn't works. Show, it's literally everybody else. Everybody else, right. Oh, I, and if it doesn't show up at your door, they're like, oh, guess what? We don't have it. But that didn't happen here. So instead, Frozen Quest begins. Um, Ikea's website. So Ikea, as much as I've said negatively about Ikea's online store, one of the interesting features of their website is um, is tracking of stock in stores. So you go to the site and you see a product. Yep. And if you've got, uh, we actually have two stores in the Bay Area. You actually can say this store, and it'll say there are three of these in the store, or there are no, it's not in stock in this store. So I looked, and the guy actually I had talked to said, according to my information here, the Emeryville store has four of these. So if you want, you could go over there and get them. And and I think he said something like, if they're there. <laughs> yes. yeah. It's a little foreshadowing. Uh, so I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do it. So one morning, I, I, I drove, timed to get to the store at 10 a.m. when they open, parked right by it, went all the way uh, uh, straight to the exit, because I'm not going to weave my way through the whole store. All this stuff is off in the, at the end where there's like the warehouse part of Ikea. So I go in the exit through the, through the checkout line backward, go straight to where it says that there, there are four of them on the shelf. And I find a box containing three of them and a paper cup uh, half full of cold coffee. That somebody okay. has just abandoned in the box. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, so I take those three and I buy them. I'm halfway to my goal. I've got three covers. And I thought, well, three's better than none. And I've got all the cushions in my in my car. And I think, should I just bring in the other three and return them? I'm like, no, I'm I'm gonna I'll wait it out to spring. Or and I get this brilliant idea as I'm standing in the store. Or I'll go home and I'll see where else they're in stock. And I'm gonna do it. I never do this, but I'm gonna use the power of social media. Yep. To put out the you can, bat signal. You can use your brand. You can engage. You can engage your brand. Right. And and you know what? So I get you home get with the You get one three... of these. Every little while, you get one, right, that you can do and everyone's going to forgive you for. If you do this all this time, people will be annoyed by mm-hmm. this. All right. So I go back and I spend a half an hour clicking on Ikea's website to literally every single location in North America to see if this <laughs> thing is in And stock. how many do you need at this point? Three. Three. Three more. I need three three Frozon cushion covers in gray. Yes. Okay. There are only two... St- well, there are three stores that have them. One claims to have one. That's not any good to me. I'm not going to no. even... But but 
the Renton store outside of Seattle has eight. Whoa. And the the Atlanta store has four. And I think, I think this might work. So I post a note on Twitter and I say, hey, anybody out there who is near the Ikea's in Renton, Washington or Atlanta, I am, I need an item. Can you help me out here? I immediately get a note back from my friend Monty Ashley, who I do podcasts with on The Incomparable, who says, oh yeah, I'm going to be over at Wizards of the Coast today. He used to work there. They make Magic the Gathering and D&D and stuff like that. And they're right next to the the Ikea. So I'll go in and I'll go in and check. And I'm like, great, fantastic. <laughs> um, like literally an hour later, I get a text from Monty showing me the empty box where they oh. aren't. All, all eight of them are not. They're not there. Whatever, whoever said that there were eight. So that is like a, they have a stock management problem, so, right? So now, now we've like. discovered is that they're very helpful in-store supply chain management system. Also, doesn't really work. Garbage. Yeah. Um, but in the meantime, no, 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 don't, don't give up hope, everybody. I have two Twitter followers who are both near the Atlanta store, and both of them say that they're going to go one guy says he's going to go tomorrow and the other guy says he could he goes past there on his commute he could go today and i say to the guy tomorrow i say sounds great and then the guy says i can go today and i'm like well that's great because i'll just tell the other guy if you don't get them and then he can go tomorrow if you don't get by there or i can just tell him not to it's like we'll work it out well the guy who was going to go by tomorrow, he couldn't wait. So he went there. They <laughs> met each other. <laughs> they, met, they met each other. No. One guy walks in, looks at the box where the Frozons are supposed to be. And there's another guy there. And he says, are you looking for the Frozons for no. Jason? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the guy says, yes. And the other guy says, oh, there aren't any. <laughs> oh, God. They're going to fight it out for to, to provide you with, oh my word! That's it doesn't so matter. Good. There were supposed to be four. There are zero. Oh. There are zero. Now I've been very specific on Twitter. <laughs> I haven't even gone into. I haven't even gone into the details of exactly what it, what model number it is that I I need. I just asked for Seattle and Atlanta. Mm-hmm. But it's Twitter, and so there are people on there. You know Twitter, right? Where you very specifically target something at one little narrow specific group or concept. And everybody else who follows you ignores that and expands it to include themselves. That's mm-hmm. pretty much how Twitter works. So I start getting, uh, there's a guy in Beijing who's like, they might have them in Beijing. And then I got somebody else who in like Germany, who's like, they don't have them in Germany. I'm like, I figured they didn't. Thank you. <laughs> but I figured that was probably not. Um, and I think, okay, this was really exciting. I sent people to Ikea's around North America we all failed. It's very sad. I'll wait until the spring. Hopefully they'll still make this thing in the spring and I can get them then. And then I get a, uh, a message in the incomparable member Slack from the paying members of the incomparable. We have a Slack community from a guy in Bergen, Norway, listener, Michael, who says, is this the model you're looking for? I don't know how he figured that one out, but he figured it out. He said, they have them at my local Ikea. Now, how how does they know? Because I mean, because everyone's got them at their local Ikea. I know. Well, oh, right. So I'm like, well, if you are near there and it's not too much trouble and you want to go look, this is the model number. These are what they are. You know, that would be great. And I'm thinking to myself, really? I'm going to get com- get, get a cushion covers from Norway? Well, <laughs> the next day I get a, a picture from listener Michael 
and uh, they had him and he bought them. <laughs> and he put them in a box and sent them from Norway. Wow. And a week a week later, on Friday, I got a box from Norway Post, opened it up. There are indeed three frozen gray uh, covers, cushion covers. Uh, I put them on the cushions that had been sitting shrink-wrapped in my garage for three plus months, put them out on the furniture. Hooray. The backyard is complete. Frozen quest is a success. Thanks to listener, Michael, who I compensated for his, for his trouble. Um, and it's going to rain tomorrow. So <laughs> that was happy summer, everybody. Um, and I have an epilogue here too, which is why I got this finally all complete this mm-hmm. epic quest on Friday, Saturday, Lauren and I go to the Cal football game. And they have a pregame tailgate area where you can hang out before the game. You can buy a beer. We walk in there and there, there, there's this huge area where you can sit and just hang out and chat with people. It's entirely our solar on furniture, all of which are in neutral gray and all of which have their cushions with covers. I have a question for you, Jason. Dozens of them. Jason, now I want your honesty here. It's very important. If you hadn't got those covers, <laughs> would you have stolen oh, them? I, I, what I'll say, probably not, okay. because I'm a fundamentally honest person, but <laughs> I will say that as I stood there looking at those things, I thought to myself, what would I need to do if I did need to steal three of those? <laughs> Who do I need to talk to to make this right? What charity do I need to give some money to? <laughs> well, I was thinking, like, could I casually take the covers off of them without people noticing and stuff them, like, under my shirt and then run out before anyone noticed and, and flee to a place where they couldn't, you know, into the, into the stadium where they couldn't find oh, me? God. But fortunately, uh, listener Michael prevented me from stealing from Tailgate Town at the California Memorial Stadium. But there are like dozens of them there. I couldn't. Lauren saw it and she was like, "You got to check that out." Like, oh no. <laughs> anyway, that's my story. That's my story. Listener Michael, save the day. Don't buy anything online from IKEA. Don't believe everything you see. Uh, anything you see on IKEA's website. I like IKEA stuff, but if I can't buy it in the store, I'm not ever 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 gonna buy it again and i'm looking forward to next summer when we will have a fully functional backyard for the first time well jason i for one am really pleased that you did not let it go (laughs) i've been holding on to that pun for this entire thing i know that there are people that have already tweeted this joke to you because they didn't have the self-restraint that i did the cushion covers didn't bother me anyway so proud of you today's show is brought to you by casper casper are the company focused on sleep and they're dedicated to making you exceptionally comfortable one night at a time you spend a third of your life sleeping when you're not sitting on the cushions you know (laughs) you're sleeping (laughs) if you spend a third of your life doing anything you want it to you want to make sure that it is the best that it can possibly be and that's why you need casper their mattresses are perfectly designed for humans of engineering to soothe and support your natural geometry casper mattresses have all of the right support in all of the right places and gosh gosh down it does it feel comfortable because they combine multiple supportive memory foams for a quality mattress that has just the right sink and bounce casper mattresses are designed and developed in the u.s 
and they have a breathable design that will help regulate your body temperature throughout the night. Casper have a 100-night risk-free sleep on it trial. They will deliver directly to your door, and if for any reason you don't love it, they have a hassle-free return policy. And I'm sure this is one of the, just one of the many reasons why Casper has over 20,000 positive reviews online. Right, they're 4.8 stars overall because of those wonderful, wonderful things that go into making a Casper mattress. This is why they are becoming the internet's favorite mattress. Jason, is Casper the Snell's favorite mattress? Yes, it's way better than uh, cushions that aren't covered, by the way. And it's super comfortable. (laughs) And we sleep on it every night. It is our number one favorite mattress that we sleep on every day. And I miss it when I'm sleeping somewhere else. You can get $50 towards select mattresses by going to casper.com slash upgrade and using upgrade at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. That is casper.com slash upgrade and the offer code upgrade to get $50 towards select mattress purchases. Our thanks to Casper for their continued support of this show and Relay FM. We have some hashtag ask upgrade questions. <laughs> To round out today's episode, Adam wants to know, Jason, should Adam buy a TV, Apple TV, I should say, right now? They would love to future-proof as well as uh, upgrading their next TV in the next year or two. Is now a good time or a bad time for to buy an Apple TV? I think now is a great time because I, I think, would you agree with me? It seems unlikely that Apple's going to upgrade the Apple TV 4K anytime soon. I can't understand what they would put in it if they did. Yeah, right. No, and, and we know that they don't update these TVs very often, these Apple TVs, and they just did it last year. And I don't know what tech they would put in it that doesn't currently already sort of exist out there for TVs and audio and stuff like that. And they did a, they did a software update to get the Dolby Atmos stuff in there. So... If you'd love to future-proof, as Adam would love to future-proof, get the Apple TV 4K, even if you don't have a 4K TV. And I think that when you upgrade your TV in the next year or two, the uh, Apple TV 4K will work great with that TV too. Peter wants to know, do you use Apple Pay and iMessage? And if so, like, why do you use it? Like, what do you like about it? And do you think that it will ever get outside of the US? Apple Pay Cash is great. I use it whenever I can. Unfortunately, a lot of the times that I need to pay somebody, like to listener Michael for Frozen Quest, he's out of the U.S., so I can't do Apple Pay Cash. So when I when I am sending money to people just in here in the U.S., I do use it, and it's great. It's a lot of fun. I like it a lot. Um, for for Mike's bachelor party, when we were divvying up um, who was paying for what, and everybody who is American just Apple Pay cashed everybody else what they needed to. So I think it's great. Um, I get the challenges. I hope they get it out of the U.S. soon. There are, you know, because it's a debit system and you've got to have, I think they've got a credit card partner. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of complexity to how it's built, but Apple rarely does something and then just leaves it parked in the U.S. It does happen, but they tr- they know that they want to be overseas yeah. with it. So I, I, I think it'll happen. This rollout has definitely been slower than Apple Pay. And Apple sure. Pay feels like a more complicated system than Apple Pay Cash was. Yeah, but Apple Pay, like contactless payments and things already existed where they were going. And this this is a more of a challenge because they have to they have to have these financial partners and Right, but they have to know. like make up deals of individual banks. banks. Right. It's and true. It's doing true. I'm a surprised. Deal with Visa or MasterCard would not be as hard because those companies would really want that business. So I, I find it p- peculiar. 
Um, mm-hmm. I feel that potentially it's that Apple Pay Cash is also a difficult thing, but not as high priority as Apple Pay itself it's possible. was. Also, I think um, banks have tried to build their own versions of this, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's a harder sell for Apple because banks want everybody to use the send cash feature that's inside their own banking app instead of using the one that's controlled by Apple. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Apple one is super... Like basically, what you want is you want terms that are that make the banks go, oh yes, we want to support this because this will ultimately create a certain you know amount of money that passes through our bank that benefits us. But uh, it, it is it is strange, and I think you're right. It is a combination of it being a whole bunch of deals need to be made, and maybe it's not as high a priority. But uh, I like it. I think it's a great feature. As Rick in the chat room points out, the complication may come through if you enable this in multiple countries how and if those countries communicate so like can you send money to me and if you if that is something that they want to enable which when they do this they probably should there's then a whole big thing about foreign exchange now it's all possible sure. to do because paypal manages PayPal it you know, like does lots it. of yeah, companies exactly. manage this but like that is the complexity because you shouldn't launch this if it's then locked to the country because it's too confusing, right? Like that just becomes an, a, a, a pain point. So right. maybe that is the thing that they're a, bit, a little bit held up on is is making it work across, uh, across country lines. Marcus said, Jason, if the 10 and 10S weren't available and all that was available, it was a 10R or a 10S Max, right? That was what Apple went with. They just pushed the OLED screen up into a large screen and the only smaller phone available was a 10R. Do you think which one do you think you'd go with? Which one? So remind me, do you know the um the dimensions is one of them smaller physically? Not really. Uh I actually think I don't know, I'm going to check this off the top of my head that they're about the same size. So I think it seems pretty obvious to me which one most people will go with, but like I'm I'm checking this right now. Um we're looking at well, okay, so the the uh, the ten S Max is six point two inches in high, and the ten R is five point nine four, and the ten S Max is three inches, three point four oh five inches wide, and the ten R is two point nine eight. So the so the ten R is slightly smaller than the ten S Max. Um, I would probably, I don't know. I, the ten R sits I, pretty comfortably in between the ten yeah, S and the ten S Max. So. I again, this is the world where the 10 and the and the 10s don't exist because mm-hmm. that's my preference. I like the 10s Max. I think it's really uh, because the 10s already a little bit larger that that decreases the space between the two models, which means that it feels like less of a jump to get up there. But the fact is, when I hold it in my hand and I'm trying to reach around on the screen, it's like it's it's just too big for me. So on that level, I would want the 10R because it's a little bit smaller. Okay. Um, and the screen looks great. I would be really sad to give up the 2x lens because I do use that a lot mm-hmm. when I'm taking pictures. But I think if I had to choose, I would probably choose the 10R just because I think the 10s Max is just too large for my hands, and the 10R would be a little bit smaller. I'm really excited for the 10R reviews to start coming out in the next couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. I just, I'm just really keen to see how people stack it up against the 10s, like after an extended use period. Yeah, and how people re- react to the screen because the screen looked great when I saw it. In, yeah. yeah, at the Steve Jobs Theater. So, but like, what happens in regular circumstances when you're looking at both of them side by side? You know, like, how right. is that going to be? I'm, re- I'm really keen to see how people start to start to judge that. 
But the 10R is a quarter of an inch less wide. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's a big deal. That's that. So it's, it's that much, it's still no, larger, you know, larger by three tenths of an inch than the, than the 10. But if I was forced to pick, I think that would drive it more than anything else is, um, I would want to try it in my hand for a while because, you know, there may be just a threshold that is crossed and that ultimately the 10R and the 10S Max are both just, they're over the threshold and so it doesn't matter. And if that's the case, I might go for the 10S Max just because it is, uh, I'm stuck with a big screen. I might as well have the big, awesome phone. But um, my hope would be that the 10R would be um, somehow more comfortable to use because it's a little bit smaller. It's thicker though. It's only like yeah, it's over a millimeter, but it's yeah. My issues are about just where my fingers can reach on the screen, right? More than anything else, when I'm holding it in my hand, and so that that would be what I would be most concerned by. Natalis asks, uh, having apps that I don't actually have installed on my iPad show up in my screen time report. Is there any reason why or how this is happening? Yes, what you are probably seeing is the report for all of your devices. So when you're in screen time. There is a button on the top right, or a word that just says to devices, which is a button. Uh, if you tap that, you can choose specific devices attached to your iCloud account or all devices. Um, so if you tap around on that, you should be able to narrow it down. Um, I wanted to mention this because that is a feature. Um, I do have a weird bug right now uh, where my 10s Max is just showing us the word iPhone, which is very weird. And my iPhone 10, which is no longer attached to my iCloud account, is still in that list. I think that there's some weird stuff going on in there, but it is still a feature that I like. I like to book around in there. I like the reports. Um, I still want to see more refinement come to screen time, but I'm really pleased with that feature. I think it's pretty cool. Nick asks, is there any idea, Jason, why some complications aren't available on the new infograph watch face? Is this a thing that you're finding? Yeah, so the problem with what Apple has done with the new infograph face, and I'm going to write about this i'm i'm working on my apple watch review right now um is they decided to do different complications in the different faces so even though there's little circles in the old faces and the new faces the new faces circle complication is different than the old one and they're not compatible you can't just take an old smaller complication and put it in the circle in the new one which means that every app that has a complication for the old watch faces and hasn't been updated for the new watch faces, their complications are invisible on the new watch faces. So like Overcast, when we were first taking uh, these new watches out for a spin, you couldn't put an Overcast complication on the new faces. Marco Arment had to update Overcast to add a new complication. I think this is a bad decision on Apple's part. One of my complaints, I think uh, ATP did a very nice job uh, following up on our criticism of, of complications and watch faces on our show last I week. I meant to put this in follow out, but forgot. Listening to Marco talk about the watch faces, I found it absolutely fascinating because I agree. he is a watch person, right? Has a yes. lot of experience with a lot of different watch faces, different sizes, different shapes, different features. I loved that segment of ATP, yeah. just hearing him talk, go through all of that. It was really, really good. And I enjoyed that he he said he had listened to us talk about it, and then he was sort of building on what we were talking about. It's a good conversation. I like it a lot. Um, and he's right that one of my frustrations, I feel like this is one of those things where the Apple Watch has gotten good enough now that we need to start getting down to some of the details. And some of the details are these faces. Like, Apple keeps adding faces, but not going back to their other faces. They modified the old faces on the Series 4 in like the 
straight lines curve now, which I agree with Marco is really weird um, that they did that. But like the fact that they didn't make it so that the old complications, if they didn't have a new one to override it, were com- were compatible or something like that. Like they just didn't do that. Like you got to update for the new one. And the fact that they didn't update the old ones to use the new style either, which they could have done for some of them. They could have said, well, the circle on these faces, we're going to make space for them because we're going to use the, the snazzy new circular complications on these older faces. They're like, nah, that's too much work apparently. Then we're not going to do that. We're just going to use the old style complications. So I'm in a situation where in a lot of ways, like Marco... Like I want numbers on my watch hands, on my watch face. I like the I like a uh, watch face with hands, but I want numbers on them. I don't want to do that extra calc- mental calculation of where would the numbers be, what time is it? Like that's a little bit more mental load that I prefer not to have. I like having an analog watch face, but I want the numbers on it too. I like how it looks. And that means that the utility face <laughs> is still a face that I really want to use, but it's also really boring on the Series 4 when I know that I've got these super awesome infograph faces, but they didn't they didn't offer a variation of the infograph face that, that has the numbers on it. I know why the numbers aren't there on the main one, because it would you'd lose some of that space on the interior where they put these complications. But could there be an alternate design? Could there be a modification to the old uh, utility face to add some of the new complication styles in there. And it's just one of those areas where is it this hard to develop watch faces that Apple has sort of, they make them and kind of abandon them? Um, or were they just prioritizing other things? Because I understand, like, up until the release of WatchOS 5, there were lots of other things for their, them to prioritize. But at this point, I feel like they got to get their face, uh, watch face house in order. And that's one of my big frustrations with the Series 4 watch is the inconsistency of faces and complications and the lack of um, of alternatives or, um, you know, a- adaptable faces, faces that have sort of some different variations. Like you if you like a face and it doesn't do exactly what you want, too bad. You move on to the next one. And I'm not asking for like super nerdy uh, face modification formats or anything like that. I'm just, I, I think they need more variations on their themes than they've really been able to offer up to now. So um, anyway, to Nick's point, one of the things they did there was literally like if an app hasn't been updated to support the new complications on the new faces, they're just not there. It's really annoying. All right, so our next question uh, comes from Gustavo. Gustavo is a happy user of the 2018 9.7-inch iPad. But they are suspicious that this will be the last iPad Apple releases at this price point. Jason, what do you think Apple's strategy will be for that iPad, the regular iPad going forward? Do you think that it's something they're going to keep doing? I think that iPad is the bedrock of the iPad line, and I think that is their strategy. I think we've seen it. I think there will be a 7th gen iPad at some point, 9.7 inches, low price. I think that's... I don't think that's an aberration. I think that's the final destination of the iPad line. Yeah, I think that it's going to continue, right? Like it, it feels like an entryway, like it just feels like something that's going to stick around. Um, I don't think that the iPad Pro means that the iPad can't exist. And I think for there to be an iPad Pro, there always has to be an iPad. Like I think that there will some, that something something will stick around in that, price point for the foreseeable future 
I don't know how often it will be updated, but there will be something. That I don't know. Maybe maybe it's every other year or something like that. But but I don't I don't get Gustavo's suspicion. I think this is exactly where Apple wanted to go with the iPad. They want a mass appeal iPad. And in fact, they will keep rolling pro style features down to it eventually, as they did with pencil support. Like that is their education model. That is their under the tree model. The iPad Pro gets the freedom to be as high end as it needs to be because there's a low end base model iPad. And our last question today comes from Stephen. Stephen is very happy, Jason, how iOS 12 has optimized performance on his older devices, but feeling a little bit shy about putting Mojave on his 2015 iMac. Is there a rule of thumb or resources to help determine when your Mac is too old to upgrade? I don't know. I feel like Apple's done a pretty decent job with um, the last couple of versions in terms of not making it be a sort of slowdown disaster. Um, I don't have a rule of thumb about it. Mm-hmm. I think a 2015 iMac is probably going to be fine with Mojave. I, 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 especially if you're already running the previous edition and you're going from High Sierra to Mojave. Um, I don't, I, I don't have a resource beyond that. I think, uh, I think Apple's gotten better at that. The, these updates have not been ones that totally slow down your your Mac. So you should only ever upgrade when you need to for a reason though right right i mean i I give you a hard time mike about updating to mojave but like really you should have a reason to do it and for a while apple will continue to release security updates on older versions anyway and unless there's a feature you want or there's a compatibility reason to switch you can also just stay behind and that's okay so that's my rule of thumb is do you want the new features or not and beyond that you know i i I think Mojave on a 2015 iMac is probably not an issue. All right. Thank you so much to everybody that has submitted their Ask Upgrade questions. You can always send out a tweet with the hashtag AskUpgrade to have your question answered at the end of the show. And don't forget, if you have something fun you'd like us to start the episode off with, send out a tweet with the hashtag SnellTalk. You can find links and information about this episode at relay.fm slash upgrade slash 213. And those show notes should be in your podcast player of choice as well. Thanks to Hollow and Pingdom and Casper for their support of this show. And of course, thank you for listening. As always, you can find Jason online at sixcolors.com and theincomparable.com. Jason hosts a wide variety of shows here at Relay FM, as do I, and you can find information about those at relay.fm slash shows. Jason is on Twitter. He is at jsnell. You can find me on Instagram. I am at imike, I-M-Y-K-E there. And until next time, we'll be back. Don't, think, don't worry, Upgradians. We'll be back with you next week. Say goodbye, Jason Snell. Goodbye, everybody.